All right, if you are new here, we are in the middle of a message series on the parables of Jesus. Now, these uh, parables that Jesus told were actually stories. They usually were very uh, simple stories. They were not complex, uh, but these stories, these parables are very deep. And by that, I mean Jesus uses these stories to, to diagnose our hearts in pretty uh, amazing ways, almost in supernatural ways. It's been a powerful few weeks as we've really dug into these parables. We have a few weeks uh, left and really looking forward to what the Lord has for us uh, as a church family in the weeks ahead. Now, the parable that we're going to be looking at this morning isn't as famous as the ones that we've been looking at uh, the last few weeks, but I think it's just as important, and it's a story that, frankly, is, is critical if we ever want to experience abundant life, uh, a life where we are connected to God in a meaningful, life-giving way instead of just kind of going through the motions of our Christian life. Now, this parable that we're going to look at this morning is commonly known as the parable of the persistent widow. And so if you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, go ahead and open it or turn it on and head for Luke's Gospel, chapter 18. That's where we're going to park this morning. And if you think about it, uh, persistence is a really important ingredient to having a happy life, right? So uh, if, you wanna, if you want a good marriage, for instance... If you want to be a good student, if you want to be a, a good athlete, a musician, a small group leader in your church, a business owner, you name it, all of that requires a great deal of persistence, right? Without persistence, none of us will be good at any of those things or really most anything in life, period. I think that we, we kind of get that, like we, we know that, we understand that concept in our everyday lives and the places that we work or go to school or things like that, but sometimes... For whatever reason, it seems like we can, we can miss that truth in our spiritual lives. Have you ever noticed that? And, and, then, we, and then we can kind of wonder like why, why our spiritual lives seem to be uh, dry at times. Or, or we wonder, man, wh why does it feel like, even though I've been following the Lord for uh, many years, or perhaps even many decades, why, why does it feel like at times I feel, I feel disconnected from God, or I feel distant from God? If you can relate to any of that, this parable is for you this morning. Now, just to give you a little context before we actually read the parable, people were coming up to Jesus in chapter 17, the previous chapter, the one that we're going to be in. They were coming up to Jesus, and they were asking him about the coming kingdom of God. And so they were just wondering, like, hey, hey Jesus, when is it going to happen, man? When is this whole kingdom going to be inaugurated and established? And when it happens, what, what's it going to look like when you come back? And so Jesus does give them some answers actually in chapter 17 about a second coming, about what things are going to be like before the end of this age. But then he pivots in chapter 18, almost as if to say to his disciples, listen, it's, it's fine for you guys to be curious about these things. There's nothing wrong with you being curious about end times or the coming kingdom, all those things. But, but here's really what I want you to be focused on as my disciples as you, as you wait for me. Like, this is what your life should be about practically as you wait for my return. My return. So Luke 18, and we're going to start in verse 2. This is Jesus telling this parable, and he says this. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. And so right out of the gate, Jesus introduces us to the two main characters in this parable. The first one is a, a judge who Jesus says 
neither fears God or respects men. He sounds like a lovely guy, doesn't he? Just the kind of guy that you want to spend the holidays with or take a vacation with, perhaps, right? This is a guy who more than likely doesn't even believe in God. He, he probably sees himself as God. Apparently, he has zero concern for his fellow human beings. This guy is, is a narcissist, right? If you can't do something that benefits him, he doesn't care about you at all. And he doesn't care about your suffering, and he doesn't care about your pain. Basically, everything that makes a judge good, this guy has none of, right? This guy is a dirtbag. And yet, in this culture, he would have been extraordinarily powerful. I mean, people would have been fearful of this guy. This guy would have been used to people kissing up to him, bribing him, giving him money for favors. He would have had massive influence wealth, power, and control in the city that he lived in. Now, I want to contrast with the second main character in this story, who Jesus says is a widow, okay? So uh, widows in this particular culture would have been uh, completely powerless. Widows would have had zero influence. Many of them would have been utterly impoverished, even looked down upon. In her days, uh, widows had almost no way to even provide for themselves, so oftentimes they were destitute, they were hungry, they were dirt poor. And that's why we see God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament give his people the command to care for the widow, to care for the orphan, to care for the powerless, which should tell us something about the nature and the character of God. God loves these people. God loves these people. And yet, this widow is in a Tough spot in her life. There can be no doubt about that. The hand that she's been dealt, quite frankly, is a really bad one. And to make matters even worse, apparently something evil has happened to this poor widow. Now, now Jesus doesn't tell us exactly what has happened to this poor widow, but he lets us know that she's seeking justice against an oppressor. So we can speculate. Uh, who knows, right? Maybe, maybe she was abused. Maybe she had been robbed. Maybe she had been assaulted in some way. Perhaps her oppressor was actually uh, someone who murdered her husband. Like, we don't really know what had happened, but she has been wronged in some way. As if losing her husband and losing probably everything that she had wasn't enough, now something evil has been perpetrated against this poor widow. And she's in a tough spot. She doesn't have the money to pay off this judge, like a lot of people maybe would have. She doesn't have the societal clout, even, to influence this evil judge. She really is up the creek without a paddle, right? There's something else I think that's fascinating about this widow. Look at, look at verse 3 again. This will be on the screens for you. It says this. And there's a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversaries. This, this little widow is a firecracker, right? She, she's a feisty one. I, I, I like this woman. She has no power. She has no money. She has no influence. On top of all of that, she's being abused or wronged in some way after she had lost everything in her life. But she's got persistence, man. And I think that she has great persistence because I think she has great faith. And so we can kind of just picture, I don't know what this looked like in this day, but I just kind of picture this evil judge, man. He, he leaves his house early in the morning to go to work and he goes out by his car and the widow's standing there leaning up in the, against his car, right? Is now a good time, judge? 
to, to, to talk about my case, right? And so he goes to work and he, he works really hard and he takes a lunch break and he drives to his favorite restaurant. And he sits down, and he orders his favorite meal and he hears a familiar voice from behind him. Hey, it's me. It's me. Judge, will you give me justice now? Is now a good time, right? And he goes home at night and he's walking his dog and he hears somebody walking up behind him and hey, good judge, guess what? It's me again. Is now a good time? And this guy's just like, good Lord. I cannot get away from this woman. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take the weekend off and go to my lake house, man. You can just picture him out on his bass boat, and he's fishing out in the middle of the lake, and all of a sudden you see a little snorkel come up by the boat, right? Little head pops up. Can I have my justice now, judge? Like, this woman has persistence. Now, uh, just, a, just a side note, persistence isn't always a good thing, right? So if you're, if you're trying to get a, a girl... Uh, who's not interested in you to go out with you and you just show up wherever she is and you won't leave her alone, that's, guys, that's not persistence, that's stalking, okay? And you're going to go to prison, so don't do that. Jesus is not telling you to be a creeper here or to annoy people unnecessarily, so please don't misapply this parable. Jesus is specifically, as we'll see in a moment, speaking to persistence in prayer, persistence in our relationship with our heavenly father. Verse four, he continues on. He says, uh, for a while, he, the, that evil judge, he refused her, but afterward, afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Right, so this judge, after being hounded by this poor widow, Everywhere he goes, there she is. And finally, he just, he says to himself, man, though, though I neither fear God or respect man, he's just, he's reminding himself of what a schmuck he is, right? I mean, it's almost like he's, he's proud of being an evil dude. He's proud of his reputation of being an evil guy. So he's going, even though I'm a miserable, evil dude who hates God and doesn't care about people, yet because this widow will not leave me alone, she just keeps bugging the mess out of me. I'm going to give her justice, and I love the way he frames it, so she won't beat me down. Now, the the Greek wording there, literally, it means like, so she won't give me a black eye, all right? So this judge is saying, man, this woman is giving me a beating, right? My my nose is bloody. My lip is swollen. She's got me in a a rear naked chokehold, and I'm about to tap out right now before this woman kills me. That's the idea that uh, we get in Luke here. So she won't leave him alone, She's relentless in her persistence. And so I just wonder, do you, do you have a friend like that? All right, that friend that just, they will not leave you alone until you finally go and see that movie with them. Or they will not, they will just keep hounding you until you take that hunting trip with them or you go check out that brand new coffee shop. Do you have a friend like that? If you're thinking, no, I don't really have a friend like that, that's because you are that friend, okay? You, you are that friend, it's you. All right, the truth shall set you free. Merry Christmas. She, she will not leave him alone. Verse six, Jesus continues on, right? He says this, and the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, here's what Jesus is not doing. Jesus is not saying that God is like this evil judge. Jesus is actually here using a a narrative form of storytelling called 
comparative contrast. And he's using it to drive home a point. And his point is this. Listen, if, if even an evil judge will hear the persistent cries of suffering, how much more will your good Father in heaven hear and respond to the cries of his own children? What Jesus is doing here is he's reminding us of who God is. He's reminding us specifically of who this God is that we pray to. And so the first big truth that I want to highlight for you this morning is this. Number one, believer, never, ever forget who God is. Don't forget who God is. So Jesus is going, listen, if this, if this evil, pathetic judge could be moved by the persistence of a woman that he doesn't even know, that he doesn't even care about, how much more will your God hear his children and move on their behalf? Remember who God is. That's what Jesus is saying. Remember who your father is. Your father is, is good. And he's, he's loving and he's trustworthy and he's compassionate. You got to remember who he is. Now here, here's what I know about the vast majority of you this morning. Most of you struggle with your prayer life. Most of you struggle with your prayer life. So I'll illustrate for you. So by, by a show of hands this morning, how many of you would say, and if this is you, just raise your hand. How many of you would say that you are satisfied in your prayer life? Like it's just humming. You cannot imagine it ever, ever getting any better. Just raise your hand. All right, look around. Okay, there's like, like two of us, all right? Two of us in a room of hundreds. See, for, for most of us, we sit down in, in our prayer time, if we have a prayer, if we even have a prayer time, and it's like if you're anything like me, you, you hear a, a dog bark outside, and that reminds us that we need to take our, our pet to the vet, right? And, that, and, and then that reminds us that Veterans Day is coming up, and so we probably ought, to, probably ought to get to the bank before the holidays, right? And that reminds us how much we hate fruitcakes at ho the holiday season and people who give fruitcakes the holiday season and finally after a while we're sitting there we're going what what am i doing here <laughs> well I, I, you forgot that you even sat down to pray right that, that's our experience for so many of us and i want to give you three reasons that i think so many of us struggle in our prayer lives three reasons why so many of us tend to struggle in our relationship with the father number one for most of us we have the disease of self-sufficiency See, the reality is, most of the time, we think that we can handle things in our lives, don't we? We just, we, we think we can. So for most of us, we, we really believe that we have everything it takes to fix everything that's broken in our lives. And usually what that means is that we don't come to God until our world has been shredded into little pieces. And it is only after we have tried and failed at everything that we know to do in our own strength that we come to God in desperation. And what do you think that reveals about how you see God? As a parent, if your kids only came to you when they were on the verge of certain death, how would that, how would that make you feel? And what would that ultimately say about your relationship with your kids? Now, this is, this is really toxic, and this is really big 
Uh, I've lived all over the world, but this is especially a big one in the American church culture because self-sufficiency, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, it is an American virtue. It's, it's part of our culture, man. We are, we are the John Wayne culture. We are the culture of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, never ask anybody for any help. It is an American value. It is an American virtue, but I'm telling you, it is a spiritual cancer. Believer, your Father loves you. Your Heavenly Father loves you. He cares for you, and He has the power to fix all the stuff in your life that you're trying to fix, but just keep messing up. So that's one reason why many of us don't pray. We just have this disease of self-reliance, of self-sufficiency. Here's the second reason so many of us struggle to pray. Number two, we don't really believe that God cares. I mean, we wouldn't say that, would we? Like, we wouldn't say that in our small group or in the lobby while we're getting coffee. You would never say, I don't believe that God doesn't. I just think he does, probably doesn't care about me very much. But the reality is a lot of us believe that. Have you ever noticed that you don't, you don't tend to spend a whole lot of time with people that don't like you? Have you ever noticed that you don't tend to spend a lot of time with people that you think don't care about you? Like, that, that's pretty normal, isn't it? I think for most of us, anyway. Like if you were to send me an email this week and just say, hey, hey, Chris, I just want you to know I don't like you very much at all. And I also want you to know I, just don't, I don't care about you. I just wanted you to know that. Merry Christmas. Like, guess who I'm not hanging out with next week or like ever? That guy who just sent me that, that email. I'm not hanging out. Now, Mike Watkins sends me emails like that all the time, but I got to work with him, so I put up with it. We don't, listen, we, we don't spend a lot of time with people that we don't think like us. And we don't spend a lot of time with people that we don't think care about us. And I'm convinced that a lot of us don't spend time with God because we think that ultimately he doesn't really care about what's going on in our lives. And if that's what you believe deep down to your core, what Jesus is saying in this parable is that you could not be more wrong. What Jesus is saying is, listen, if you, if you, really, if you really knew how much God loves you, if you really understood how much God cares for you, nobody could get you to stop praying. Like we would wake up every morning praying. We would pray all day long as we go about our lives. We would fall asleep praying every night with a huge goofy grin on our faces. We would just, you could not get us to stop praying. But the reality is a lot of us don't pray because we don't really believe God cares at the end of the day. And here's the third reason I don't think many of us pray or a lot of us struggle in our prayer lives. Number three, because we don't really believe prayer works, do we? Because if we did, we'd be doing it a lot more often, wouldn't we? Now, for most of us, we've had experiences in our life where we pray and God shows up and he just does amazing things, right? We've, most of us have had those experiences where we're just like, I cannot believe this. Like, I, just, I just prayed for this, and, and the God of this universe, actually, he, he heard me, and he started doing like unexplainable things in my life, and we're just on cloud nine, and I cannot believe this. This is awesome. And then at other times when we pray, it just feels almost as if our prayers are bouncing off the ceiling. You ever experienced that? And you're just like, man, God, are you, are you even listening? God, are you, 
are you even there, God? Do you, do you even care? Can you see what, what bind I'm in? Do you see the kind of pain I'm walking through, God? Do you even care? Why am I, why am I wasting my time on this? Most of us, if we're being honest, have been there as well, haven't we? I know I have a, a bunch of times. So what, what does Jesus mean then when he says that the Father will answer his children speedily because it seems to me that he takes his sweet time sometimes, right? Now, I, I don't think that I, I fully understood passages like this one until I had kids, until I became a, a father. Here, here's the one thing about kids that I've learned. They ask for stuff, like a lot. Can I get an amen from the parents in the room? They ask for stuff. They ask for stuff a lot. And so, for instance, our kids oftentimes will come to us and ask things like, hey, hey, Daddy, can I eat ice cream for dinner? Or they'll come to me in, in January when it's like 30 degrees outside and it's sunny outside and it looks really warm. And so, like, hey, can I put my bathing suit and go play in the sprinkler? My answer to my kids oftentimes is either no or wait. Wait a few months until it warms up. Look, I, I'm not against ice cream. I, I'm against juvenile diabetes. Okay, I'm not against playing in the sprinkler. I'm against frostbite. There are other times, and usually, usually when my wife Cheryl's out of town, right? When my my kids come to me and say, "Hey, can we eat cake for breakfast?" and I'm like, "Heck yeah, we can eat cake for breakfast. That's that's a beautiful idea. I'm gonna join you. We're gonna have cake for breakfast. Just don't tell mom." Right? As a father who loves his kids more than anything in this world, my answer is going to be yes sometimes. My answer is going to be no sometimes, and then other times it's going to be wait. But all of those answers, all of them are in the context of my deep love for my children. And all of those answers in the context of a relationship with my kids. See, I, I want my kids to ask me for things. I want my kids to, to, to come to me because I know that authentic relationships are built on a thousand little moments of mundane interaction. Now, see, I suppose as a dad, I, I probably could just get $500 in cash at the beginning of every month and just kind of lay it out for my kids and uh, give them my Amazon password and just say, hey, kids, Whatever you need this month, whatever food, whatever clothes, whatever medicine you need, just handle it. Just don't bug me. The answer is yes. You don't even have to ask me. $500, my Amazon account, just get whatever you need. Just leave me alone. I'm, see, I'm a good dad because my answer is just automatically yes. I'm a busy man. If I were to do that to my kid, does that make me a good father if I just say yes to everything and not in the context of a relationship? Of course not. That would make me a terrible father. And my kids are going to need a lot of therapy. And they're going to have a lot of daddy issues when they grow up, right? Because more than they need my stuff, my kids need their father. They need a relationship. And our father in heaven is no different. And so there are times when he answers yes. There are times when he answers no. And there are some times where the answer is wait. And it is always because he loves us. And it is always because he desires a relationship with us. What good dad wouldn't want that? What good dad wouldn't want that? And that brings us to our second main truth in this parable. Believer, I think Jesus wants you to know this morning to never forget who you are. 
So never, never forget who God is. He's a loving Heavenly Father who has compassion and care for you. But on the other hand, he wants you to not forget who you are. Look, look what Jesus says in verse 7. He says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Now that, that word elect makes some people uncomfortable, but it really shouldn't. The Greek word is actually eklektos, and it occurs 23 times in the New Testament. It literally means to be picked out. It means chosen ones. It's this beautiful truth that will change your relationship with God forever when you actually grasp it. What this means is, believer, everyone, everyone who comes to Jesus by faith is a chosen, dearly loved, picked out, fiercely loved child of the God of this universe. That means is that the God that spoke everything that is into existence, he loves you. It means he chose you. He adopted you into his family, not because you did anything to earn that love, but simply because he chose to love you first. Wow, that, that is your identity, follower of Jesus. That's your identity. You are loved by the Father. You are chosen. You are picked out. I want you to listen to me, Christian. You, you are not, you are not who others say you are. You are not. You, you are not even who you tell yourself that you are in those dark moments of self-hatred. Your identity in Christ is who you really are, believer, whether you like it or not. And when you realize that you are a prized, ferociously loved, deeply cared for child of the king, man, that, that changes how you view God and that changes how you pray. That changes how you interact with God. But we have to know who we are and we have to know how God sees us if we ever want to experience a relationship with our heavenly dad the way that he intends for us to. Now here's, here's the next truth that we can't miss here. Look back at verse number seven, kind of halfway through it says this. Be on the screens for you. Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now here, here's what Jesus just said. Prayer works. That's what Jesus just said. He said prayer works. Believer, God inclines his ear to you. He, he sees you. He hears you. He loves you. He will answer you. So here's, here's the third big truth. Number three, persistent prayer activates divine action. Persistent prayer activates divine action. Now, look, I, I don't understand why God's hand is moved by the prayer of messed up, fallen people like me. I don't always get that. I don't always understand that. But listen, the message from Genesis to Revelation is that God is absolutely moved to action by the cries of his sons and daughters. If you don't believe me, watch this. This will all be on the screens for you so you don't have to look this up. Jer Jeremiah 33 says this, call to me and I will answer you. Hebrews 4 says this, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. 1 John 5 says this, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. First Peter 3 says this, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. Psalm 17, I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear to me and hear my prayer. Psalm 145 says this, He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. Are you starting to get the idea that God's hand is moved by the prayers of his people, child of God? And that's just a small sampling of dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of verses that are very similar to this. Persistent prayer activates divine action. Jesus wants you to know that this morning. One last truth, and we'll begin to kind of dock the boat. In verse 7, Jesus finishes the parable with this. He says this, Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And what Jesus is asking his disciples is this, When, when I come back, will I find you faithful? When I return, will I find you trusting in me? Will I find you walking with me? Or will I find you preoccupied with stuff that won't really matter in the end? See, G- Jesus is looking for relentless people of faith who remember who God is, who remember who they are in Christ, who are passionately and persistently living and advancing the kingdom of Jesus. Now, Jesus explains what this looks like fleshed out in our lives, actually in verse 1. This will be on the screens for you as well. It says this, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So here's, here's the application. Pray a lot and don't lose heart. Don't give up. Now this, is, this is the final truth and this is kind of the big idea of the message all wrapped into one. Truth number four, pray a lot and never, ever give up. It really, it really is that simple. Now I know for some of you, you're, you're probably thinking, man, how do, I, how do I do that, man? I just sit down and try to pray or try to pray with my family or my wife or my husband or my kids or girlfriend, what, boyfriend, whatever. And it just, man, it feels awkward. <laughs> like I, I don't know what to say. I don't know how to say it. It just feels goofy. And man, if that's where you're at, I, I get it. I get it. But here, here's the deal. It, it really is this simple. See, when, when my kids come to me, they just, they just, they just ask me for stuff. My kids just, just, they're not trying to figure out how to word it and how do I make it sound holy and how do I make it sound really super spiritual and what are other people going to think if they hear me ask in a way that's not super awesome. Like, my kids have never come to me and said, Father, thank you for your bountiful provision in our lives. Father, we are grateful for your loving kindness and your everlasting mercies. Father, we beseech you now for some ice cream after dinner that we may nourish our weary souls and feast upon thine goodness. My kids have never come up to me and said something goofy like that. My kids just come to me and go, Daddy, ice cream! That's what my kids do, right? Prayer is just talking to God. Husbands and wives, pray with each other. If you're not already doing it, start doing it. Parents, pray with your children. Who cares if it feels awkward at first? 
Talk to your Father in heaven. He hears you. He loves you. He cares for you. He is moved by the prayers of his kids. I want to finish with a couple of quotes from some church fathers, theologians, uh, Christian authors. The first one is from a guy named Oswald Chambers. Some of you guys may be familiar with his, um, his little devotional. This is what Chambers says about our prayer. He says, prayer is the vital breath of the Christian. Not the thing that makes him alive, but the evidence that he actually is alive. Martin Luther, the great church father, says, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Believer, pray a lot and never, ever lose heart. Don't give up. As we close, I just invite you to bow your heads for a moment. We're going to pray a minute, then we're going to sing. But I'd guess that some of you in here have probably prayed your whole lives, man. You, you probably grew up praying, and you've got these little memorized, rote prayers that you just kind of repeat. You don't even think about them. They're kind of the same words every night, maybe with your kids, maybe at the dinner table. Some of you, I would guess, are in here, and you have prayed your whole lives, but you've never actually talked to God. You have never actually personally engaged the God of this universe. And I'm just, if that's you, I'm just telling you, I, no, I, think, I think Jesus is telling you, if that's you, you're missing out. You're missing out big time. Like, like if we ever got this truth that I, I can come to God and I can actually talk to the God of this universe and that when I come to him and I talk to him, he actually inclines his ear to me, he actually hears me, that the God of this universe is actually moved to action because he loves me and he cares about me? Like, are you kidding me? If we ever actually got that, if we actually understood that, man, you could not pay us to stop praying. Now, I, I'd, be, I'd be remiss if I, if I didn't just say this or mention this. It is, it is very possible, maybe even highly likely, that some of you in here this morning, you don't pray or you struggle to pray because you haven't, you haven't ever actually had an encounter. You haven't ever actually been transformed by beginning a relationship with Jesus. There's a possibility that you struggle to pray with your father because that's true in your life. And if that's you, I want you to know, Romans 10 says that every, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. And so if you've, if you've never done that, I want you to know, man, that, that, is, that is the first step for you. Like you, you have to crawl before you can walk. You have to walk before you can run. If that's you, if you would just say, yeah, man, Chris, you're, man, I think you're talking about me. I think I don't have a connection with God. I don't pray to God. I don't have a desire to pray with God because I haven't actually been given a new heart. Never actually been transformed by a relationship with Jesus. Listen, if that's you and you're honest enough with yourself to admit that this morning, my encouragement to you would just be right where you are to cry out to Jesus. Just like Romans 10 says, everyone who cries out, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord Jesus will be saved. If that's you, cry out to him. 
surrender your life to him, surrender your life to his plans, his promises to give you a new heart, to make you a son, to make you a daughter of your good heavenly father. You can do that as we, as we pray. Father in heaven, <clears throat> would you, in your love, in your grace, would you remind us every single day of who you are, God, that you're, you're not an evil, uncaring judge, but that you're a good and loving Father who hears us and re responds to his kids, God. Would you help us become just fierce people of prayer who never give up, people who never lose heart because they know who their dad is. And Father, for the person here who maybe has never begun that journey with you by turning from their sin and turning to your son, Jesus. God, would you, would you help them to do that even, even in this very moment? Would you help them to just pray out to you in the silence of their own hearts, just, just giving themselves to you, God, and asking for a new heart and a new start in life, God? We pray, Father, all of these things as we always do the name that we love most, the name of the one that we've staked our very lives on, the name of Jesus. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship our God.